computer. All right, so good evening, uh, everyone. For those of you that don't know me, my name is uh, Kevin Benton. Uh, it doesn't matter to me. I'm not caught up in titles. Um, I understand protocol and all that stuff. But tonight, for these weeks, uh, I can just be Kevin. If you want to call me Chaplain Benton, Elder Benton, uh, my name is Kevin no matter what. So uh, I'm really informal as it comes to that um, and really excited to be able to share with you all a subject that I am very passionate about. Uh, matter of fact, I think hermeneutics and apologetics are probably two of my favorite subjects um, in Christianity. Um, I grew up, uh, hermeneutics is really important to me, the science um, and art of being able to interpret the Bible, uh, because I came up and I, I had all kinds of questions. I know I probably got on my dad's and, and other preachers' nerves um, who, um, you know, if I found somebody gifted and talented that I really felt like had a really good grip and understanding of the Bible, I was that person that was, I would drill them for hours and hours and hours. Um, for those of you that know uh, Bishop Bronner, I remember listening to him preach for the first time and I begged my father um, to let me take him to the airport the next day. And I talked that man's ear off, you know, um, but I had all kinds of questions, Evans, and I wanted to understand um, the Bible. And I ran into a lot of people that were not able to articulate those answers to me. Um, I read a lot of things in the scriptures that I did not understand. And so I was one of those people and still am that when I saw something in the scriptures that I did not quite understand, I would spend hours and hours and hours at night studying it. Uh, I'll say this and then we'll go ahead and get into the teaching. About five or six years back, um, someone posted on uh, Facebook an article that was uh, 11 things the Bible says that don't do that we do every day. And of course, all the scriptures and things were taken out of context. But uh, Brittany, I stayed up till about three in the morning and I went through line by line all 11 of those things and I and, and rebuttaled every one of them and shared it on you know Facebook and everything. But I wanted to unsure that the Bible had answers to these things. And if there is something that the scriptures seem to say that could be taken out of context, I wanted to understand it. I did not want to operate in blind faith and just say, oh, well, the Bible says that and read over it and then just gloss over it and don't understand it. So I wanted and had to learn how to do good hermeneutics so that not only can I place my faith in the person of Jesus Christ and the person of God, but I can also place my faith in his word. And I, I, I am more, uh, what's the word? I'm, I have more conviction in my faith because when I look into the word of God, I understand it, not just verses um, and chapters, but as a whole uh, document, I understand uh, the word of God better. And hermeneutics has been able to help me to do that. So before we can get into defending the word of God, which is what apologetics discusses, it is necessary that we first are able to look into the word of God and be able to understand it and interpret it for ourselves before trying to defend it to someone else. Does that make sense? All right, so if, if y'all don't wanna unmute, y'all can just do one of them so I know that you hit me and everything like that. So uh, awesome. So um, tonight, um, uh, uh, Greater Works, which is the ministry that uh, um, I'm uh, kind of founded uh, or I did found, um, is really all about doing three things, educating people, equipping them and empowering them to be greater disciples for Jesus Christ. And so we're gonna be doing that. Uh, everyone can see the slides, correct? 
Yes. All right. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. Um, so uh, Greater Works, if you've seen my website beyond the registration page, I have dozens and dozens of PowerPoints on there on any subject that you can think of. Many of you have purchased them before um, and different things. And my goal is to do what Paul says in 2 Timothy 2 and 2. And this is what I believe discipleship is according to the scriptures. So Paul says in 2 Timothy 2 and 2, he says, he says the things he's talking to Timothy and he says the things that you have seen and heard of me. So Paul is talking to Timothy. He says, take them and teach them to faithful men who will teach others also. So Paul teaches Timothy. Timothy teaches faithful men. And then those faithful men teach others also. If discipleship stops when the preacher is talking to you and we don't take that information with the expectation of being able to relay it and articulate it to someone else, then we're not doing discipleship. All right. This is not what this is designed for is for you, Danielle, Sharon, Angela, to receive this information. But then you can't turn around and teach it to someone else. If you can't do that by the end of this class, then I have not done, we, uh, myself and Bishop Bell, have not done a successful job at discipling you. So part of the way that we do that, and especially through uh, Greater Works, is giving people the PowerPoints and the information to be able to do that, including the notes that I preach with, uh, uh, you know, speak with and everything, and the sources, so that you can go back and look up the sources and the information of where I got this from. So not only will you be receiving the slides, but I also will be sending you every one of the actual digital sources that I use to put these slides together. You're going to get those actual sources as well. So those of you that are nerds like me and really love this kind of stuff, you're going to be, uh, you know, overflowing with the information. I see you shaking your head, Danielle. So uh, let's go ahead and get into it. So hermeneutics is really uh, discusses the ability to interpret. It is the art of science of interpretation and in its application to the word of God, the branch of theological science, which lays down the principles for a correct interpretation of Holy Scriptures. Uh, one of the most irritating things is to see a person read the word of God, but completely miss the understanding of what the text actually says. And in many cases, it can be unintentional and then in many cases, it's just uh, out of being either misinformed or ignorant. But hermeneutics helps us to avoid those mistakes by following certain principles to make sure that we are accurately identifying what the text and the author meant to say. All right. And again, if you have any questions, by all means, feel free to unmute yourself, use the raise your hand thing, and we'll get to you. All right. So uh, going a little bit deeper in, what is hermeneutics in general terms? It is talking about the art of understanding and the methods and techniques used to interpret the written text. Um, we're going to get into this a little bit more later, but of course, all of the texts that we are going to be interpreting, these are thousands of years old. So one of the main questions is, can we trust the reliability or why? can we trust the reliability of the text? Because if we're going to interpret them, how do we know that these things are reliable and that we're not interpreting what someone else added in, but we're actually interpreting what the writer or the uh, author has actually said? All right. It can also refer to the conditions which make understanding possible, um, which is what more we'll get into on next week um, in discussing the history um, of hermeneutics and how it has developed over time. Um, and then theologically, it is used in contrast to exegesis, which is the, uh, the former is to understand as a theory and the latter as the practice of interpretation. So without good hermeneutics, 
it is difficult to do good exegesis because exegesis, as we'll get into, I believe it's on the next slide, um, hermeneutics is the science of the methods of exegesis. Exegesis is usually the act of explaining the text, going into the text, figuring out what it says and extracting from the text, whereas eisegesis would be putting something into the text that is not there. All right. Hermeneutics is the science by which exegetical procedures are devised. All right. So um, I put this one on Facebook. This is one of my favorite slides through this. Um, it really helps to be able to 70. So uh, for those of us that are preachers or going to become preachers, uh, one of the things that I had to learn is 70 percent of people are visual. And so I can speak something to you and maybe you'll understand it. But if I can paint the picture, if we can paint the picture in that person's head, then it makes it come alive. Anybody ever seen a picture or illustration? This is why preachers like Mike Todd, no matter what you think about his theology, this is why people like him are so persuasive and are so fun and easy to listen to is because they're very good at painting pictures when they're speaking. They're really good with their illustrations, which makes their teaching come alive. So how, um, well, let's explain this, explain this by first. Hermeneutics is like the cookbook. It tells you the instructions. I can't cook for nothing, so don't y'all clown me. All right, uh, but hermeneutics would be the cookbook that gives you the instructions on how to utilize and put together the ingredients. Exegesis would be preparing the dough and the baking process. So once I learn what the recipe is, then I can put it together successfully so that when I serve it to you, it is something that is appetizing and not something that is actually going to do harm to your body. So this is how hermeneutics, exegesis, and exposition or preaching and teaching is actually put together. So how, here's a question you can prepare to unmute your mic. How did Jesus paint pictures for his audience when he was teaching and preaching, how what method or what thing did he use in his preaching and teaching in order to communicate and paint pictures for his audience? Yes, sir. Yep. Deontay. Uh, he used stories. Um, he used stories in telling people how they how how their life would be if they did certain things in a story. Absolutely. He used stories. What's another name for those stories, Krista? I think you had it. Uh, parables. Very good. Parable. Charlene or uh, Richard, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? That's exactly what I was going to say. Absolutely. So not only the parables is absolutely correct, but also one of the things that he did was paint pictures by utilize or a uh, better word, contextualizing um, things that they were familiar with. So they were in an agricultural setting. This, these were people that understood the land and how to grow things out of there. So when Jesus says the sower soweth the seed, and he's talking about the word of God, he's using something that they can readily identify with in order to communicate his message. So the use of parables, the use of contextualizing his message, but good preaching is not just the information, but it is the presentation of truth in a way that can be easily received by people. So in your, while you're doing hermeneutics and as you're doing hermeneutics, when you put it all together, it becomes something that is easy or uh, a, a less challenging for people to actually uh, digest and, and, and uh, identify with. Amen? 
All right. So the word hermeneutics actually comes from the Greek god Hermes. Those of you uh, follow me on social media, you've seen I did a little bit of clowning over the last, uh, you know, they kind of ticked me off on uh, uh, Christmas holidays and everything. You know, everybody's saying, oh, you can't celebrate Christmas because it has pagan backgrounds and all this other good stuff. But it was like, well, hermeneutics has a pagan background. So I guess we can't do hermeneutics because it comes from paganism, right? No, absolutely not. But the truth is, is that the word, the beginning of the word hermeneutics comes from the Greek god Hermes, who was the messenger of the gods, the escort to the dead, to Hades, so on and so forth. He was the god of eloquent speech. Um, and this is something I had passed over and then didn't even realize in scripture. Um, Paul was actually mistaken excuse me, for Hermes when he was operating in ministry at Lystra with, uh, with Barnabas. And so you can see here in the scriptures, it says, when the crowd saw that what Paul had done, they shouted saying to the Ly uh, Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. It was Paul's eloquentness. It was his articulateness that caused them to think that he was actually Hermes in the flesh um, and everything like that. So again, you can see evidence of this even in the scriptures. All right. So again, let's putting it all together. Hermeneutics comes from the God, Greek God, Hermes. And it also comes from this Greek word, don't ask me to pronounce it, which means to interpret, translate, express, or explain what is beyond human understanding into a form uh, human intelligence can grasp. All right. So hermeneutics, the process of bringing to an understanding, which involves language. All right. It involves language. So this is one of my favorite. This is how you can put hermeneutics, exegesis, and um, uh, exposition into uh, into, pro into process now when you're preaching. So God wanted to communicate with his people. He wanted to reveal himself to his people. In the Old Testament, he uses words, all right? He has the Ten Commandments, he has the law, he has the prophets. They all spoke words to communicate who God actually was. In the New Testament, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So God says, no longer now do I want the communication of who I am to be with mere words, but the word then becomes flesh and Jesus Christ is the communication. He is the explanation. He is the expression of who God is. No longer do we have to depend on words, but we can look at the person of Jesus Christ and see the demonstration, the, the display of everything that God is. Everybody say amen. All right, good stuff. All right, so the goal of our communication efforts is to, very easy, understand, all right? The goal of this is not just, and we're going to get into this, but I'm going to say it now, not just to understand the scripture itself. It is not just to understand the text, but the text is the sign that points us to the author. Everything in the scriptures is meant to point us to the work and the person of Jesus the Christ. It's to point us to the ultimate author of the text, which is God himself. So when we go into the scriptures, we're not there simply just to uh, understand the scriptures, but we're there to understand the God of the scriptures. Does that make sense? All right. So whenever we're reading the text, it's it's great to understand these stories about Abraham and about David and about a uh, Paul and all of this other good stuff. All of that is absolutely true and correct. But ultimately, we should be asking, how is God revealing himself through this story of Abraham? What does the story of David and Goliath tell me about God? 
How is God revealed? How is he manifested in, in, in that in these particular stories? Because these are not just written to tell us about that individual person, but their story should be telling us something about the ultimate author, which is God himself. Does that make sense to everyone? Amen. So this does not mean I am not saying that we should not understand what Paul was talking about or understand Paul's story. I'm saying that they are the subplot in the in understanding. It's meant to tell us something ultimately about who God is. It's to understand him, not just to understand the words that are written. All right. So it is possible to diligently read the scriptures and still not understand its content. And we understand that uh, as seen through Jesus and his interaction with the Pharisees, with the Jews, with the Sadducees. Watch what he says here in John 5. He says, you don't have his word residing in you because you don't believe the one he sent. I, I love this. He says, you pour over the scriptures, reading over the scriptures day after day because you think you have eternal life in them. And yet they testify about me. One of the cautions that I am grateful that the Holy Spirit has given us is that I try never to become arrogant um, or, or uh, proud or, or thinking that I know something because I have a degree or because I've been preaching or because I'm teaching a class. Because I, my biggest fear, if I can be honest, my biggest fear is that one day I will be a Pharisee and thinking that I understand the scriptures because I understand and can teach classes on hermeneutics, that I know this so well, but that I actually miss the big picture. And so P Jesus is telling him now, imagine the, um, the impact of what he's saying. These are the religious teachers. These are the, the elders of their day. These are the people that the people look to for the understanding of scriptures. And Jesus Christ, the scriptures were pointing to Jesus. And here he is telling them, you've been reading the scriptures, but they're pointing to me. And here I am right in front of your face and you still missed it. And our biggest fear is that we will, in, in our efforts to understand something, that we will really miss what God was actually trying to communicate. Even Jesus himself engaged in hermeneutics. He says, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. He's going through the scriptures and showing them, hey, look, you're reading the scriptures, but they are pointing to me. One of the things in teaching my soldiers, I'm stressing to them always, every feast, every holiday, every story, every person, um, every event, in, in some way, every single one of them pointed to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Um, all of us have mostly heard the scripture in the New Testament where it talks about all the things that Jesus had done could not have been written, even if it, it kept all of the books in the world. You're familiar with that scripture, right? So if that is the case, and, and Paul, or excuse me, um, the, the gospel writers could have written for years about the things that Jesus did. They were obviously selective in what they decided to communicate which I believe is an indication that every single thing that they communicated was for a reason. Every single story that they chose, every miracle that they chose to write about said something that they wanted to communicate about who Jesus was. And so keep that in mind when we're reading these stories. These stories were not all that they knew but they had this vast amount of information, but they selectively chose certain stories, certain miracles, certain interactions for a particular reason inspired by the Holy Spirit to communicate something greater to us. 
And that is one of my chief concerns when I'm looking into the scriptures. Amen. All right, good stuff, good stuff. All right, so Jesus reveals the Father. No one, he says, has ever seen God, the one and only Son who is himself God and at the Father's side, he has revealed him. Literally, this is the word for exit where we get exegesis. Jesus is saying, I am the exegesis of God. I am the demonstration, the display, the expression. I am God in the flesh. If you want to know the Father, all you have to do is look at me. And again, you can see this in the different uh, versions there, or translations rather. He says he has explained him, interpreted and revealed the awesome wonder of the Father, or he has unfolded to us the full explanation of who God truly is. So the twofold, God's, or excuse me, Jesus's coming was absolutely to save us from our sins. He is our savior, but he also is the expression and the full explanation of who God is. Make no mistake about it. God desires relationship and he wants us to know him. And so he says, there's no way that you can know me if I don't reveal to you who I really am. And this was one of the chief and primary reasons for Jesus actually coming. All right. So another one, Philip helps the Ethiopian eunuch to understand. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he says, how can I unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. I want you to unmute your mics for those of you. I want to ask you a question. So um, thank you, Holy Spirit, because as we just finished talking about every story that even Luke, when he shares in Acts, they're selected for a reason. Why do you think that Luke shared the story about the Ethiopian unit? What larger picture um, could Luke have been trying to communicate to us in sharing the story about this particular person? What do you think was behind it? Anybody? Krista, go ahead. <clears throat> a good evening, Elder. I, I think a lot of it is, is that, like you said before, we've read over scriptures before and we didn't gain the full understanding. You know, we'll mm -hmm. say something and have a partial understanding of what we're reading, yes. but there's a much more depth or much more meat to it. You know, so I'm learning to stop glazing over the scripture, but take my time and read it but also asking the Lord, please interpret this for me and give me what you will have me to know about this. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Anybody want to add to that? Um, this is Kathy. Hey, Kathy? <laughs> um, I think his ethnicity had a large part to do with it. Mm -hmm. Okay. To show okay. Um, the connection between all the ethnic groups that are included in part mm, of your I love it. I love it. Okay, you're on the right track. I want to keep going. Danielle, you got something you want to add? Um, yes. I, I think, too, that it <laughs> may have been uh, important to point out that you can't just be in the corner with the scriptures by yourself and have your own relationship with God. You need some teaching. You yes. need some guidance. You need yeah. someone to help you. Okay, absolutely. So um, everything that you all have said is accurate, but it's incomplete. I want you to dig a little bit further. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but um, so let's do this. I will um, bring this up. So when Jesus is talking to his disciples, um, he says, 
uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. How does that or does that connect with the story of the Ethiopian eunuch? Anybody want to take a shot at it? Round two, Danielle? Got some hands. Oh, Jermaine, go ahead. Oh, I think that hands. They got their hands up, Kevin. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I see Danielle, Deontay, either one. Go ahead, Dean. Um, my one of the things that I've learned in uh, listening in Bible study and listening to the teachings um, is that they tried to spread it throughout the whole world. Yes. Um, that they don't just want it in one area of the world. They want it in all of the world. So they had to teach other people that were not of their own, their same descent, but they had to descend, they had to send it to somebody else so that they can learn it also. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, um, Kathy, one last one and then we're gonna go on. Okay, um, when Jesus said, when the scripture said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, has come upon you you will be my witnesses his the pouring out of his holy spirit was for all men not just select people okay and that's why he pointed out the different locations that had been marginalized and he said even them even them I love it. I love it. So all of you all are on the right track. Let's see if we can put it all together. Let me check the chat. Um, okay. He's okay. Gotcha. Um, so when Jesus says, and this is one of the reasons when we get to geography, this will be important. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So that's one area. The next wider area would be Judea. Then as it goes further out, it is Samaria. And then he says, and to all the ends of the earth. So when Jesus, excuse me, when Luke is telling the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, what he is doing is if you know where Ethiopia is on a map, where is, what continent is Ethiopia in? Africa. Africa. So what he is demonstrating then, if he's reading the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, that is saying that the gospel has reached where? Into Africa. Africa. Now you're catching it. So when he, Luke is, I believe, selectively trying to indicate that the gospel of Jesus Christ has now reached Ethiopia, which they believe was the end of the earth. They did not have the understanding in the maps and satellites that we did. So they considered Ethiopia the end of the earth in that particular day. So what Luke is trying to indicate already to us in chapter eight is that not only have the Jews received the gospel, but the Gentiles in Samaria have received the gospel and Gentiles who are all the way in Ethiopia have received the gospel, which of course we know the Ethiopian unit was a person of color. He is demonstrating to us without saying it, he's indicating to us that the gospel, what Jesus said in Acts one and eight has been fulfilled. So again, all of this is, um, I wouldn't say hidden, but it's in the text and good hermeneutics is able to extract all of that out of the text, not just what it says in this particular story. There's a reason that he shared this particular story. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt that this is the indicator of why he chose this particular story to, uh, to tell to his, um, to his, to his, to the people. All right. So, um, so our hermeneutical triangle. So God communicates to the biblical author. That is what we call 
inspiration for those of you all that are taking notes. God breathed on his word and he divinely inspires the human author or the biblical author to write down that. All right. Now there's something, and I don't want to spend too much time on it because that's not the purpose of this class, but there's something called dual authorship. All right. Dual authorship, which says that God is the ultimate author of the scriptures through the process of inspiration. He, um, he dictates what the human author will write down, but he's not doing it so to the point where the person is a robot. That person still maintains the ability to utilize their own uh, intelligence, their own manner of thinking and communication um, that Deontay specialized in and got his degree in and all that other good stuff. So the human author, a biblical author, still is able to utilize their own mind, but that mind is influenced divinely by God, the Holy Spirit, through inspiration. All right. They write the biblical text and the biblical text is then read by the Bible reader, which is us. All right. So going proper biblical hermeneutics is for the Bible reader to understand and read the biblical text, but also for us to gain an understanding of the authorial intent. What was the intent of the author when they wrote? What was Luke trying to communicate in telling us the story of the Ethiopian eunuch? What is Paul trying to communicate when he's writing to the city, the saints in the city of Colossus or Rome or Ephesus or when any of those things? So we're reading the author, we are reading the biblical text, and then here's something I'm going to throw in for free. Um, particularly when it comes to parables, it is not so much, think about this now, it is not so much that we are reading the text, but the text is also reading us. So this is one of the great things that I love about the Bible is that the Bible, you know, how uh, young people nowadays say, oh, yeah, she read you. You know, it's like, no, the, the, the text will um, it will read us and identify things in us. It will expose. Thank you, Holy Spirit, expose things within us. So the text is reading us just as much as we are reading it. Does that make sense? All right, so we have that dual authorship going on, but also as much as we are trying to understand the intent of the author, we are also allowing the Bible to speak to us as we are reading its contents. All right, any questions on that so far? All right, praise God. All right, so um, experiential reading is something that we should avoid. Now, this is when the storyline or the interaction is between the text and the reader only. There is no authorial or, or authorial intent, but crucial to it is when people go into the text or into the Bible for their own discovery, looking to find out the or gain their own impression of what the scripture is or reading their own experiences into this. Oh, well, I know what I saw when I was in church and I seen this all the time growing up. So I'm going to read into it what I think it says. Um, one of my friends, uh, Damon Richardson, he talks about, he uses the uh, illustration sometimes of lenses. And you know how sometimes on Instagram, for those of us that have uh, no Instagram, um, they have what they call filters. Um, you know, these apps nowadays have filters. And so what happens is, is that if you want your picture to look a little bit better than you actually look, you throw on that filter on there so you look like you're a little bit more cuter than you really are. You know, you're a little bit more skinnier than you really are, a little bit more darker or lighter or whatever it is. And so what happens a lot of times is as we're reading the text, sometimes unintentionally, we're doing it through the lenses of our culture, 
of our background, of our denomination, um, of all of these different things that we bring into reading the text. So we're not seeing the text as is, but we're reading it through the filters of our culture, of things in the West, our worldview, um, our denomination, our particular, uh, whatever those beliefs are. And so it is difficult. It is absolutely a process for us to rid ourselves of those things that we may not even know are there and, inf and how they influence how we read the text. Does that make sense to everyone? All right, and, and I find myself doing that even now, growing up Pentecostal, that Pentecostalism absolutely impacted the way I thought about prophecy, the way that I taught, uh, thought about speaking in tongues. And so when I read those texts, I read into it what I saw growing up in Pentecostal churches. And so it was difficult and challenging and still is many times for me to rid myself of what I have seen so that I can do my best to read um, and interpret what the text is actually saying. Anybody have any questions um, on that one? I know we could spend all day there. All right, praise the Lord. Uh, Deontay, go ahead, sir. Just got a quick question. So do you think people who's been to different churches, um, different denominations, do you think that they take, um, they can see this um, hermeneutics more than people who's just been in one? Um, I don't know. I, I think the more experience we have um, and we bring to the text, the more filters that we bring into the text, I would say it can be more challenging, um, but a lot of that is really dependent upon the person um, and, and our commitment to attempting to understand and here's one way that we um, that we can tell um, when I read something and I, I don't know if this has ever happened to you um, not you particularly but uh, all of you when I read something and I can see that it's plainly written in the scriptures but it goes against everything I've ever known growing up um, and and you allow the scriptures to be the authority and you say okay well if this is what the Bible says then what I believe is wrong if this is what the Bible says, then what I grew up being taught was wrong. When you're able to do that with a sincere heart and submit to the text, that's when you know you're doing good hermeneutics because you're allowing the text to be your authority, not our uh, individual experiences. Does that help you uh, answer the question, sir? Oh, outstanding. Evans and then Charlene. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you touched up on the uh, experimental reading, because that's something that I, I believe that um, a lot of churches are running into. Um, and that's something I'm running into at my church um, where, you know, we're teaching about, you know, um, these things, how to read the read it within the context yes, sir. Um, and, and so on like that. So um, I, I'm just trying to understand how can we um, as uh, teachers um, you know, like as, um, as uh, Deontay said, um, is that you got different denominations out there, people with different beliefs, and they come into one, they come to a, they come to a, like a non-denominational church with different beliefs. How can we like teach it, avoid people looking at this from a, uh, reading the text from a, uh, an experimental uh, standpoint? Yeah, so one of the ways, it's a very good question, my brother. One of the ways that we can do that is by um, 
uh, trying uh, attempting not to preach topically. Um, so I, I say, let me allow me give me a, a minute or, uh, to explain that. A lot of times, what we see, and, th and this is not wrong. Topical preaching is not wrong. But I grew up listening to topical preaching. Topical preaching is when you take one text one a couple of verses and you're preaching on that particular text the next week you're in another book and then the next week you're in another book and so you've never really had an opportunity to gain a full understanding of what that author is actually saying and it's funny that it's not funny it's kind of sad that the bible is the only book i believe in the world that we do that to i have a virtual bookshelf behind me but in my you know real bookshelf there's no way in the world you're going to pick up a book off of uh kathy's got a bookshelf behind her we're going to use her there's no way in the world you're going to pick up a book off of kathy's bookshelf read a couple of verses or or words and sentences in that book and think that you have an understanding of what that book is all about. But we do that with the scriptures and we see it all of the time. So if we are attempting to go against the grain with something that might be considered controversial, even if it's truth, it's very challenging and difficult to do that if you only have one sermon to do it in. So it's easier and less challenging if we go through the entire book or if you're skillful enough to craft the entire argument about what was going on in that particular, giving, giving good context. Um, and so if you can give them enough context, then your credibility in explaining what that particular passage is about is increased exponentially. Does that make sense to everyone? All right, good stuff. All right, Evans, is that good, brother? All right, Charlene. Um, actually, he he gave the question that was good because that was I was kind of confused on what you were really talking about with postmodern hermeneutics. I was not quite understanding that. I, I was thinking it was more like, let's just say, you know, like street ministry. You know, you're going to kind of go out to the culture, and so that's kind of what I was thinking, what you were talking about. But now I kind of understand what you're saying. It's okay, and if I'm wrong, tell me. But when you are ministering or you're like, let's say outside the church. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cause I, I do a lot of street ministry, a lot of outreach ministry. And, um, so it is, it can be different, you know, cause you're coming, you know, I'm coming with the word and I'm coming hermeneutically, but I'm also coming where they can really understand streetwise or like in deliverance. So am I, am I saying it right? I mean, it's, so that's not postmodern, like kind so of giving Yes, ma'am. Uh, yeah. me, allow me to explain. Postmodern is basically saying in this day and age, post this postmodern terms, um, this is how a lot of people do hermeneutics is reading themselves into the text, reading their okay. experiences into the text. And that's it, it happens far too much in this particular day and age. OK, that just clarifies it real simple. OK, no problem. I'm <laughs> okay. glad I could help. Thanks. All right. All right. Uh, I, I want to ask one question in the Jermaine. I'm coming to you. Everyone prepare to hit the raise your hand feature. I just want to do a test. How many of you in your churches have ever actually read through as a church family, read through or preached through or did a Bible study through an entire book of the Bible? So we can see there are a few, um, but in, in uh, um, I, I'm over 40, um, and I have rarely seen this in the churches that I've been in. Topical preaching we see, but rarely ever do you see a preacher or a teacher, even in, even in I grew up in a Church of God in Christ and everybody, you know, those books that they give you every quarter um, and different stuff like that. Every week, it's something else, and very rarely do they go through a particular book. All right, Jermaine, go ahead, and then we're going to move on. 
Um, no, I would just want to hit on, I think it was Brother Evans' um, point. Not his point, but um, for me, one of the lenses, Kevin, as you said, we grew up in the church. But King James, I would, I would highly recommend multiple interpretations. King James jacked me up because of just the era it was written in. And I think one of the biggest, me and Kevin, we talked about this, but the anointing that destroys the yoke. I believe everybody on here has heard that, maybe has even repeated it. If you go back, hermeneutically exegete the text, you won't find that in any other. I don't want to hijack the class, but we, we got to stop repeating what we hear and, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. And even in that uh, good thing, uh, what is a yoke? You know, many of us, we've heard that before, but if you ain't been on a farm, do you even have an understanding of what a yoke is and why that was utilized and, and the writer utilizes that particular word, uh, but so on and so forth. Richard, did you have a question before we move on, sir? No, I just uh, I oh, just yeah. thought uh, I was I kind of like what everyone was saying. Uh, the importance of of knowing who is talking, uh, when when it was said, uh, where it was, where what was the historical background, and uh, uh, and why being said. Uh, once we can get a full understanding of that, and we can be informed about uh, that intent at that time, I believe now we go back to what you were talking about, how we could begin to be uh, make our applications uh, a, a much more uh, easier as we paint those pictures in this time, much like you said Jesus did in the agricultural days, he was able to relay it a whole lot better. Once we begin to do that, we move away from then how we were brought up in our own ways. We might have been taught a certain thing if we do it the way the, uh, we're supposed to do it with, with the hermeneutics. Absolutely. Uh, if, if all scripture is given by divine inspiration and it becomes, then it becomes profitable uh, uh, for the reproof, even for the speaker. So when we begin to go in there and rightly divide, divide that, we understand who was talking, where it was talking, uh, and why it was being said. And now we can then make whatever application. Absolutely, absolutely. So we're going to get into that a little bit further on. Um, so as we continue, this is one of my favorite slides. Um, the Bible is not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. The Bible is not a book about us. It is, it is God's self-revelation. All right. Uh, it is him revealing himself through his divine work. It's purpose to demonstrate his character and excuse me, his attributes. All right. So one of the easiest ways to say that is to say that the Bible is written for us, but it is not written to us. All right. So when Paul is writing um, the book of Romans, he's writing to the saints that are in the church at Rome. He's not writing to Kevin Benton in Georgia in 21st century. Now, because the Holy Scripture is divinely inspired, can I still benefit from what he was saying to the saints at the church at Rome? Of course. But does that mean I can take everything that Jeremiah wrote to exiles in Babylon in, uh, you know, in his book, in Daniel, and in, in, in all of those things, and automatically apply the promises that were written to those exiles? Can I automatically apply every one of those promises to me? No, absolutely not, because that text was not written to me. And so we have to understand when we go into the text that it was not written to us 
present day, it was primarily written to a group or a particular person, and we benefit from that. So, and I think this is in my slides, but I'm gonna say it again. Um, you can write it down. Everything that is described in the Bible is not prescribed for us, all right? Something may be, I'll give you a perfect example, Acts 19. It describes what happened when Paul runs into a group of people um, who had not received the Holy Spirit. Does that mean, and a lot of people took this to develop a theology, that you can be saved and not have the Holy Spirit. That is not what Paul was indicating or prescribing in the description of that particular text. All right. So again, we have to understand how these things work. And we're going to get into that a little bit more um, as we get into the uh, the four or five steps of hermeneutics at the end. But again, everything that is described does not mean that it is prescribed for us. All right. So some things we hear, uh, well, that's just your interpretation. The Bible can say whatever you want it to say. You can use all these different translations and interpretations that are written by men. We hear these things all the time. And so in the practice of and development of good hermeneutics, we can provide um, great answers to those questions. And that is one of the things that we will do in hermeneutics and in apologetics. All right. So we're going to talk about now the importance of hermeneutics. So Paul tells Timothy, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed. I love being able to mount the pulpit or to have a discussion, a fruitful discussion one on one with someone knowing that I don't have to be ashamed or, or fearful of what I'm saying because I have done my absolute best with the help of the Holy Spirit and good hermeneutical practices to give this person an accurate rendering of what the scripture has actually said, all right? Because the cost of this, let's look at this. Hymenius and Philetus are among them. They have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection had already taken place and are ruining the faith of some. I have seen preachers. Some of you may have seen preachers. There's some of them out there today. I mean, if I had the freedom, I would call names, Bishop Bell. But there are people out there because they, they, they are not practicing, whether intentionally or unintentionally, they are not practicing good hermeneutics and the stakes, saints of God, are too high. The, the, the stakes are too high for us to mount the pulpit and not know what we're talking about. Mount the pulpit or to engage, forget the pulpit, to engage in a discussion and not know what you're talking about. Some of the greatest interactions and communications that I've had did not take place in a pulpit. They took place in an office. They took place in a barbershop where the people are who really need Jesus. Good hermeneutics is important in the church, but it is even more vital when we're talking to people who do not know Jesus and who have been taught incorrectly or been taught something of another faith. We can ruin the faith of some people if we do not engage in good hermeneutics, all right? So we've got to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to be careful, all right? So this was Hymenius that he was talking about. Look at what he said about him previously. Some have rejected these and have also shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenius, same guy, and Alexander, the coppersmith, whom I have delivered to Satan so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. They were looking in the scriptures 
but you had the Sadducees who had the same Old Testament as everybody else, but were running around telling people that there was no such thing as a resurrection. These people were not ignorant. They were looking in the scriptures, but because they could not do good hermeneutics, they missed who the scriptures were pointing to, not what, but they missed who the scriptures were pointing to. And as a result of that, they shipwrecked their own faith and then they shipwrecked that faith to others. Discipleship, saints of God, thank you, Holy Spirit, is gonna work one of two ways. You are either going to, um, we are either going to disciple people with good hermeneutics or we can disciple them with bad hermeneutics. Because one way or the other, it's going to spread. The first thing that Eve did with the apple, or the fruit rather, that uh, Hermeneutic says it was not an apple, we don't know. Uh, the first thing that she did with that fruit was gave it to her husband. The devil doesn't just want the person that he's speaking to. He wants you to develop bad hermeneutics so that when you get up there and talk to somebody else, it spreads to them and then they spread it to someone else. And before you know it, you've got people running around saying that the Bible affirms slavery, that the Bible doesn't affirm women preachers, that women have to keep silent in the churches because people could not do good hermeneutics. One way or the other, good teaching or bad teaching, both of them are going to spread. Somebody say, amen, you know, y'all got it. All right, good stuff. So um, identifying counterfeit interpretations. Um, some Think about the people in the scriptures who were uh, people who had the responsibility of giving people truth. Pharaoh's magicians were able to do the same miracles as Moses. So don't think that because a person is a gifted preacher, don't think because they are a gifted orator or great communicator or because they got a degree or because they got a collar that they are engaging in good hermeneutics. I'll fact check my daddy. I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. I love Bishop, but I don't take nobody's word for it without looking in the text to see what does the text actually say and does it back up what they're saying. Now, of course, he's a trusted source. I don't want to get kicked off my own live, but y'all understand what I'm saying. Nobody is above good hermeneutics. Somebody, everybody understand? All right. So the prophets of Baal, Hananiah, who was coming against uh, the people in there, God expected the people to see through their charades and their erroneous ideologies and recognize the pure word of God. I remember reading through Jeremiah in my devotionals last year and, and, and observing in the text how it was describing that other preachers, other prophets rather, were advising the king that wasn't nothing going to happen and they were going to defeat their enemies. And Jeremiah is telling them like, no, bro, the Babylonians is coming. You need to prepare. You need to get the people ready. And they believed the other prophets because they could not hear the word of the Lord. So we have to be careful to make sure that we're engaging in good hermeneutics. And one of the ways that we do that is by not doing hermeneutics individually. There's absolutely nothing wrong with me and Bishop Bell getting on the phone all the time. Hey, man, he, that, that's how you talk. Hey, man, uh, uh, what you think about this scripture? Hey, man, what you think about this idea? Hey, man, I was watching this person's live the other day, and I just wanted to see what was your thoughts on that. And we challenge one another. We sharpen one another by making sure, hey, I think I'm on the right track, but I'm not above calling my brother and saying, hey, man, you can hear from God, too. You can do hermeneutics, too. How, what is the text saying to you? It, maybe you have some different experience or some different um, um, ideologies that maybe I don't have that can inform my reading of the text, or maybe you can help me to identify one of the filters that I have up that is a blind spot that maybe I can't see. 
So develop that community. I thank God that I have a community even online of people that I can call and say, hey, man, I, 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 you know, I think I got it right, but I want to make sure. And I do that all the time because when I stand before the people, nobody's going to know that I got that from Bishop Bell. Nobody's got to know that I got that from Bishop Bett. What matters is that I'm giving truth to the people no matter where that truth derived from. Does that make sense? Amen. All right. Uh, so for Christians, biblical interpretation is so important because it is the revelation of God himself and his purpose for his creatures. And that is the most significant communication human beings could possibly receive. There is nothing more important than the communication of who God is. And if he is God, he is our creator, he is our father, it is him and him alone that can determine and dictate what my purpose is for my life. My ultimate purpose, our ultimate purpose is to glorify God. That is everyone's purpose. But how we fulfill that purpose is something that he determines and then he gives us gifts to accompany us in our purpose, in our assignment, in our um, uh, in the function of what he has designed for us to do. And watch this, nobody creates uh, these books behind me of the chair, nobody created the chair and then said, oh man, that would be really great for people to sit in. Nobody created the headphones Deontay has on and says, man, that would really be great for private listening. Nobody created the glasses Kathy has on and says, man, these could really help people see. Before you create something, you already have a purpose in mind for what you're creating. So God, as our father and our creator, in the same way that before I had babies, I went out and bought a crib. I went out and got formula. I went out and got clothes. I made sure they had a roof over their head. I had things prepared for them so that they could grow into their purpose and their function in this world. And it is the same thing with God for us. He wants to reveal himself. I always find it funny when people's eyes have not seen and ears have not heard the things which God has prepared for them. And then they leave it right there as if the next verse didn't say, but God has revealed them unto us. God doesn't want to be a secret. And anytime you hear somebody talking about God showed me something individually, he's given me a private revelation, run. I mean, like Usain Bolt, run. All right. God does not want to be a secret. He does not desire private revelation. He wants to reveal himself to mankind. And he's shown us that through creation and through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has revealed, unfold, declared he has done these things um, unto him. All right. So, so some of the things that we will run into are the linguistic problems. The Bible is not one book, but a book or a library of book written over the span of 1,500 years by 40 different writers. But its claims a remarkable unity that you have 40 different writers over 15, 1600 year time span, but they all have a unified message. So one of the things and the principles that we should be asking ourselves when we are doing hermeneutics is, does what this text say fit into God's overall theme of creation and redemption? Does it fit into the overall theme of the book? Does it match God's character? So how could I think that the Bible would affirm slavery when Paul says slaves obey your masters if that does if slavery does not if it goes against the inherent nature of who God is there is no forced servitude with God 
All right. So again, we have to look at the entire theme of scripture and make sure that we're interpreting it, not just in the context of the book or the writer, but the entire theme of the entire scripture. All right. The interpreter is always finite. It is always fallible, meaning capable of error. The human creature must try to see things from God's point of view, even though they are expressed from another human perspective. So at the end of the day, a very easy question is, what is God trying to communicate in this text? All right, what is he trying to teach us about himself and his ways through this particular text? All right. Let's keep going. So here are some basic principles, and then we're going to get into our four-step process. All right, again, we just talked about this. 40 people over a period of 15 to 1600 years wrote the Bible, and through it, it reveals God's loving plan of salvation. It is the first two chapters that describe creation. In the third chapter, the fall happened, and the entire rest of the 65-plus books of the Bible are talking about how God dealt with what happened in chapter 3. All right. So again, all of these things are this, uh, are operating in the same theme. The New Testament reveals God's salvation uh, reveals God's salvation of sinful man through the life, suffering, death, and resurrection of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and reveals the everlasting kingdom of God. All right. So as uh, Richard um, indicated to us, one of the things that we want to do um, for every single time I preach. Every single time I do a Bible study or anything, the first thing that I ask myself is what are the five W's of what I'm studying? All right. So what are those? Who wrote the book of this Bible? Who is the author? What is the book about? What are the main themes that are going on in this book? Where was it written? Was the person in prison? Were they in exile? Um, were they in Jerusalem? Were they in a foreign nation? All of these things are important in where the person was in the text. And also geographically, where was Paul when he wrote to Timothy? Where was he geographically? All of these things absolutely matter, all right? So where was it written, all right? And when was it written? If it was written after 70 AD, then I know that there is a major event that happened at 70 AD, which was the destruction of the temple. That will color everything that's read in the text. Imagine, here's a good example. Uh, this is contextualization. Imagine writing about airport security before 9-11 and after 9-11. Does that make sense to you? That absolutely changes whatever you're writing about airport security. It has a, the 9-11-2001 has a direct implication on whatever you're writing about that event. So if in um, 530, uh, 586 BC, the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians and the people of Israel were taken 900 miles into Babylon. Their king was killed and the promised land that God had given them had been overtaken. That is gonna color everything that Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Lamentations, all of that stuff is about that one event. Everything that is being written is because of that one event. So if I don't know anything about that event, then I don't have proper context as to what Jeremiah is saying. If I don't understand what it meant for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which are their slave names, rather Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, if I don't understand that King Nebuchadnezzar is the one that destroyed their temple, is the one that put them in exile. So when he says, bow down, 
they had every reason to believe that God might not come through. This is the same king that just blew up their church and took them away from their land. Where was God then? And so when I see that they still have the intestinal fortitude to put their faith in God, despite what they have seen with their eyes, that colors how I read the fiery first. I'm sorry, that it absolutely makes a difference in how I see that story because I understand the circumstances of what was going on. Does that make sense? I'm getting a little happy, so y'all have to, you know, excuse me a little bit. Uh, another, another one. Um, if I talk about how masks were being worn by the people in the church, and uh, now if I if I talk about that now. I don't have to write in the letter that I'm writing to Christy Yarborough. I don't have to tell people that the reason people were wearing masks was because of a pandemic. So when Paul writes to these people and he says, hey, Christians should have their hair covered or women shouldn't speak and should be silent in the churches, maybe there was something that like the pandemic, everybody in Corinth knew was going on. So he didn't have to write it, but it absolutely colors what was written in that text. And so if I'm just reading the text, but I don't know anything about the pandemic, then I'm not going to understand what's going on in the text. Is this making sense to anybody? So we have to go beyond what is just written in the text and understand the, the theme, to understand the background, the occasion, the geography. The, uh, preaching is hard work. Preaching is, preaching is not for the lazy. Good hermeneutics is not for the person that wants to study on Saturday night to do good preaching on Sunday morning. If you want to do this, it is going to take some sacrificial time for you to understand, for us to understand what the text is actually talking about. So if this ain't for you, maybe you want to let Bishop know, hey, man, I, I might need to wait a few years on that ordination. Because when you take that piece of paper the organization, the body of Christ is putting our faith in you that you will do the work, that you will do the hermeneutics, that you will spend and invest the time away from social media and into the study because it is not for the faint of heart. Somebody say amen. All right. All right. So, and then of course, why was it written? Why do we need four gospels? Why did Paul, excuse me, Matthew have to, Mark wrote first. So why did Matthew, Luke, and John have to write if he had already told the story of the crucifixion and the resurrection, what was the purpose of four gospels? Maybe that's a question I'll let y'all answer next week. All right, so I ain't gonna give it away tonight. I ain't gonna give it away. All right, so here is an example of what this looks like. So John, the beloved disciple, which John was it? Did this Is this John the same one that wrote first, second, and third John? Is this the same one that wrote Revelation? Is this the disciple that Jesus loved? Is this John the Baptist? One of the things you'll learn in reading the gospel of John is that he never refers to himself by name. So anytime you see the name John in John the Baptist or in the gospel of John, I know that it's referring to John the Baptist, not John the author or the uh, of the gospel, because John never refers to himself. He'll always say something like the disciple that Jesus loved. And I'm like, you arrogant little joker boy, you just always talking about how Jesus loved you. But he never refers to himself. But again, that's things that you learn from study. All right. Um, he wrote in Asia Minor. He wrote after the temple was destroyed. Again, in seven. 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. So again, the date, these things that were written, he wrote to show that Jesus as the son of God, the word made flesh who provides eternal life for all who believe in him. A um, couple months back, I took my church through first John. The, uh, uh, yeah, I took them through uh, first John and you'll see some similarities. If you can, you get a chance, 
go back tonight. Matter of fact, I might assign that as homework. Um, I want, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but the John chapter one and first John chapter one have so many different similarities, even though he's talking to two different uh, audiences. But in looking at that and identifying the study, it was really fun to see the parallel of how he was trying to communicate. But again, even in uh, Moses, you, you all can see, you all can read the slide. I'm not going to uh, dictate it to you. So again, reading verses in context, looking at the verses before and after um, what is written, not just the individual single verse. Uh, prayerfully, we all should know that. Then taking the entire Bible as God's word. I believe context is not just in a couple verses, couple chapters, or even in the entire book, but context deals with the entire Bible itself. All right, uh, uh, your words all add up to the sum total of truth. Uh, Message Bible says, another translation says, the uh, the sum of thy word is truth. So you cannot formulate, um, I say this, we should not formulate a doctrine or a theology, a belief about any particular thing until you've read everything that the Bible has to say about that. Let's throw some easy at women in ministry, tongues, prophecy, um, all of that other stuff, end times, uh, demons, angels, until you have listened and read everything that the Bible has said about that from every author in every book, we should not be dogmatic about what the Bible says, because in this particular passage, it says it one way. Uh, thank you, Holy Spirit. I use this example a lot. Hosea says, um, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. But in Ecclesiastics, it says, uh, for in much wisdom is in much grief, and he that increases knowledge increases sorrow. So <laughs> is the Bible contradicting itself? Is it schizophrenic? You've got Solomon, the wisest person in the world, saying in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increases knowledge increases sorrow. But then you've got Hosea saying, who's a prophet, says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So it is in the context of what they use the word knowledge that helps me to understand what they were trying to say in that particular passage. Does that make sense? All right, so again, all knowledge can't be a good thing. There is a particular type of knowledge then there that maybe Hosea was talking about. But we'll, we'll let you do the hermeneutic homework on that. All right, so let's keep going. All right, so using a good study Bible with cross references um, that help you with this. I would recommend um, the Tony Evans uh, study Bible. It's a really good study Bible. Um, also the apologetic study Bible. If you have a lot of questions that have been unanswered, the, uh, the Tony Evans study Bible is very good up to date one that uses what I firmly believe is the best translation um, and let's not call them interpretations, all right? The CSB, Message Bible, Amplify, those are not interpretations, those are translations, all right? So um, just, you know, language, but looking at those, use the cross-references in those to make sure and see where else in scripture was this talked about? Was this a, a, um, a hermeneutic from the Old Testament? Because a lot of times we'll see in the New Testament where a writer is explaining something that was actually stated in the Old Testament, all right? So again, that is very important. And so if they're talking about something that was written from the Old Testament, perhaps we should have knowledge of what that Old Testament passage was and the passage in the New Testament before we try to formulate our interpretation of what that passage actually means. Does that make sense, everyone? All right. Am I boring y'all yet? Am I boring y'all yet? Uh, okay. All right. Look, wait a little longer. All right. Here we go. All right. A little long. All right. 
So discovering the intended meaning. Uh, we talked about this a little bit. What are the main ideas? Uh, what did it mean in that culture? Again, culture, very, very important um, to understanding um, what it is. And I'm going to give you some free tools because I know that I remember first time I heard something like this, Bishop Bell, I'm like, man, good Lord, where am I supposed to get all that information? Well, good news, you paid $150. I'm going to give you some documents that can help you with all of that information. This is not to make you lazy. It is to help you be more informed. Amen. All right. Uh, let's go. All right. If you have questions, write them down, pray for insight. One of the things I have tried to develop doing is before I run to a commentary, before I run to Logos or to Eastward or Bishop Bell or Bishop Benton, I pray about it. God, the Holy Spirit, help me to understand, do faithful study to hear what you are trying to communicate through this particular text. All right. All right, so learning history and geography. Uh, one of my favorite things here, using maps. There are good, invest some stuff. We get your hair done. Some of y'all hair look good. I see y'all clothes. Y'all got on real good looking clothes and different stuff like that. Got on all kind of jewelry and all this other good stuff. Spend some money on an atlas, a then and now atlas that shows what Bible places look like then, what Bible places look like now. How many of you have invested, don't raise your hand, in a good Bible program? I spent like, Way too much money on logos, but it's worth it because this is my life. This is what I do. And so if I'm, I have invested, man, Celeste is so tired of books coming to the house from Amazon, you know, so that, that, that chick do not like it every time Amazon pull up and it's another book in there. But this is my life. This is what I do. And so I spend an enormous amount of money investing in my own learning. All right. So again. All right, so understanding where um, these things are when we're looking at them, and a lot of good Bibles will give this stuff to you for free right in the back of it. We just got to look at it, all right? All right, so um, I love this slide. So um, in um, when we look at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, watch what it says here. It says, now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from where did it say? Not most nations, but every nation under heaven. All right, watch this now. Parthenians, you see this pop up on the map. Now watch it now. Parthenians, Medes, all right? Elamites, you see them popping up in Mesopotamia. Where did God, uh, uh, Jesus said in Acts chapter one that the gospel would go from Jerusalem to Judea? This is where Judea is. Uh, uh, where did it go? Uh, yeah, Judea over there. All right, so let's keep going. Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt. Um, again, here you see Egypt, parts of Libya, and near Cyrene. What does this tell you, for those of us that are African Americans, that on the day of Pentecost, on the day the church was birthed out, there were people from Africa that were there in Jerusalem. So how can Christianity be the white man's religion if on the day the church was birthed out, you had people there from three nations in the continent of Africa? You don't even need to take a whole course. All you need to do is read three scriptures to tell you that it was black people there. All right. So again, this is what having a map and understanding geography, how it will aid our hermeneutics. All right. Bishop Bell and, and Jessica, I'm, I'm missing the chat. So if there's something in there, uh, please let me know if there's a question I miss or anything like that uh, as well. All right. All right. Somebody said this is so boring. Is that what it said? Or this is not boring. I'm just messing. All right. All right. Let's keep going. So everybody understand that. So again, because I'm a nerd, I took the time. I wanted to look up all these places and everything like that. It took some, it took about an hour to put this slide together. So y'all $150, I was putting in some work. All right. So <laughs> let me keep going. Let me keep going. All right. So let's keep going. All right. They still popping up. 
Um, another one, the basic principles in history and geography. I got all this stuff at the house, y'all, and I'm going to give a lot of it to y'all. All right. Um, these timelines, understanding. So um, Hosea, in the beginning of Hosea, it talks about how he ministered over the span of four different kings. He advised and prophesied to four different kings. So I wanted to know who, what was going on, who else was living at the time Hosea was living. So if we can see here, right at the time Jeremiah was prophesying, look who else was prophesying. You got Nahum, Zephaniah, Ezekiel, Daniel. All of these people are all prophesying at the same time. So are they prophesying to the same people? Is one of them in the Northern Kingdom, somebody in the Southern Kingdom? These kind of things help us to visualize what is going on in the story as we are reading. And a lot of this stuff you can find for free. We just get investing that time into reading into it. And again, I will provide, we will provide a lot of these things to you. I would say free of charge, but as you know, because of your, uh, your, your registration. All right. So figurative language, something we see a lot of in the Bible, but can be very difficult and challenging to, um, to identify. So if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. If that was the case, man, a lot of us would be walking around here looking like dude off of uh, the Avengers. What, what's my man name on the Avengers? Um, um, uh, Y'all know who I'm talking about. Hawkeye. No, not Hawkeye. I mean, he got both of his eyes. Sharon, the dude with no eye, Samuel L. Jackson character. Anyway, y'all know who I'm talking about. Um, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Do we really think that Jesus was advocating for people to pluck out their eyes and stuff like that? No, he's using hyperbole. He's using an exaggeration and saying, hey, this is how serious it is in order for you to make sure that you're doing the right thing. He's saying, go to extreme lengths. He's not actually saying, pluck out your eye. There's another one where it talks about how um, Israel ate angels' food. And so people took it as a theology to say that angels actually eat. It was called angels' food because it came from heaven, but it was actually talking about manna. But again, if we don't understand the context, we'll run around here and be talking about angels have a, you know, uh, anyway, I'm not going to go there. All right, I'm going to behave, Bishop Bell. All right, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, look at the words, and have all knowledge, and I have the faith, all faith, so that I could move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. He's using hyperbole. Paul's not saying, I understand all mysteries. I know I was caught up in the third heavens and everything, and I, but I don't think we understand Paul had all faith and had all knowledge. Paul didn't have all knowledge. He's saying, if I had all of this, but I don't have love, then I don't have anything. He's using an exaggeration to make a point, which also connects to uh, verse one, where he says, if I speak with the tongue of men and the tongues of angels, he's not saying angels have a different language. He's not saying there's an angelic language. He's saying, if I spoke with the way that angels communicate with their articulateness and their expression, again, it's hyperbole, but we have legitimate people with degrees that took this because they read it through the lens of what they wanted to say that there is an angelic language out there. But again, if we look throughout the corpus or the text of scripture, every time we see an angel speaking, they're speaking in a language that human beings were able to understand. Even in Isaiah 6, when Paul, or excuse me, Isaiah is up there in heaven, he sees the angels and hears them saying, holy, holy, holy. He didn't need a translator. In their angelic language, he could understand them. So again, this is an example of Paul using uh, hyperbole, all right? 
So the forms of literature, for example, uh, parables, uh, is this story a parable or is it an actual story that is being told in the scriptures? What is the truth trying to be communicated to us through that form of literature? So whether it is historical, whether it is a poem, whether it is prophecy, understanding the literature itself makes a difference into how we interpret it. All right. So summary of the things that we talked about. Um, all of these things are the summary of um, basic principles. We haven't even gone real deep yet, but these are basic principles in interpreting the Bible. All right. So now let's get into. Uh, oh, man. All right. We got a few more. So. Excuse me. These are. Um, really good, but I want to kind of breeze through them because I want to try to get to our four steps before we close out at eight o'clock and be respectful of your time. Um, looking for repetition of world, uh, words. Love not the world, nor the things that are in the world, nor the any, for if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Whenever you see something referred to multiple, multiple times, there's a reason for that, all right? Um, I ain't gonna go there. All right, uh, contrast. Comparing two different things, a soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. You see this a lot in Proverbs, all right? Comparison, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Listings, like the list of the fruit of the spirit, list of the gifts of the spirit, uh, paying attention to the lists that are in scripture. If we see uh, Paul or whoever it is listing several different things, that is something to make a note of, all right? Cause and effect, and be not conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. So in order to prove, you have to do this first. So again, he's stating something, and this is the danger of uh, the challenge. I don't want to say the danger. The challenge of topical preaching as a, as a whole, if that's all we're doing, is that you can see something that is in Romans chapter 8, but that Paul has been explaining for seven chapters, and now he's come to his conclusion in chapter 8. But if you didn't see the seven other chapters where he is forming his argument, it's like listening to Johnny Cochran at the closing remarks of the OJ trial, but you ain't seen none of the evidence that he presented for the first, you know, you know, months and months and months and months. So when he says now, that's an indication that he wrote something before. Okay, so again, all of this stuff is so important to understand that we follow the author in the development of their argument, which we, is difficult to do in just reading a few verses, all right? Figures of speech, the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Uh, as the deer panteth for the waters, uh, Jesus is the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, all of these different things, figures of speech, all right? Conjunctions, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy is coming in the morning time. Everybody kind of understand, all right? Verbs, um, again, be humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity. A good hermeneutics is highlighting and underlining and all kinds of different things paying attention to the key words that are in these scriptures, all right?
And then pronouns, praise be to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. So Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus to a group of people. Again, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then whether I come to see you, so on, so forth, you all are intelligent enough to read, but looking for the pronouns to see who Paul or the writer is referring to absolutely helps us to understand the mindset and the authorial intent of the writer. Before we get into our closing slides, anybody have any questions? Am I going too fast? Because I mean, we got time. I don't want to. Okay. All right. All right. I'm not going too fast. I'm not boring y'all. So be batting a thousand. All right. So here is a good, concise way of thinking about interpretation. We have, this is called the interpretive journey. Those of you that go to seminary will probably see this in one of your hermeneutics 101 or something like that. All right. So number one, the first thing, grasp the text in their town. All right. What did the original audience, who were they, and how would they have received what the writer was saying? All right. So we've got to read the text and make careful observations. We've got to study the grammar. Um, one of the things Hebrew Israelites do is, is interpret Deuteronomy 28 to be talking about Black people. Deuteronomy 28 is not even prophetic. It's not even a prophetic book. It is a historical book. So we've got to scrutinize and study the historical and literary context of what we're reading and then synthesize the meaning of the passage for the biblical audience. So how would the exiles in Babylon, 900 miles away from the promised land and the temple, how did they receive Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel's? How did they receive their words? Not just how should we receive them? We should never jump straight to what we get out of the text or how we apply the text if we don't understand how they would have applied the text first, all right? Again, uh, say this with me, finish my sentence. Scripture is not written to us, but it is written for us, all right? So again, what was it saying to the people it was written to in their town, all right? What did it mean to the people in Ephesus, in Rome, in Colossus? What did it say to them way before what did it say to us? Everybody follow so far? All right, good stuff. All right, number two, then we have to measure the width of the river to cross. Remember, now we've got all of this stuff here, but there's a long river that has a different culture, language, a different time period, a different situation, possibly a different covenant than what we have. The culture of the Bible in the ancient Near East, completely different from the culture of the Western world that we live in. Their culture was highly collective. Everything was about the group. It was about the people. It was not about our, or in the Western world, everything is about the individual. You need to get to your season and your breakthrough and your, your, your miracle and your this. And it's like, no, the Bible was written to a collective. So this is not about me. It's, and so they would have, um, I, I just read this in this book I've been reading about the story of Joseph 
And it blew my mind, Bishop Bell, to uh, has the writer opened my eyes and took the blinders off of me because I'm thinking that the story of Joseph is about how God gave him double for his trouble. And he went from the pit to the prison and then to the palace and then becomes the prime minister. But no, the story of Joseph is about family. It's about how God took Joseph and utilized him to reunite and take care of his entire family. That's what the story is really all about. It's not about Joseph, but it's about how God used Joseph because of his concern for the entire people. Joseph was just a key part of that story, but he is not the object of the story. God is in his concern for the people. So again, I completely missed that for 30 years. But again, and that is what good hermeneutics do is help us to remove the blinders and the blind spots of what the authorial intent was because it's completely different. The language of the Bible was written in Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew. I don't read none of them. You know what I'm saying? So how do I take, a, 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 for instance, here's a good way. The Greeks had eight different words for love. Most of us have heard four, but they had eight different words for love. And so when they say love in the Bible and you read love in the Bible, we got to figure out every one of them ain't agape. Every one of them is not talking about the unconditional love of God. So which love was the writer actually describing? Because the English language only has one word for love. And so again, all of that is a different difference. It's, it's a big difference in, in colors how we read the text. So how wide is the river that we have to cross? All right. And then number three, crossing the principalizing bridge, all right? The theological principle is part of the meaning. It is not the actual meaning, all right? So what we want to do is discover the meaning, do not create the meaning. Does everybody understand? So I'm not going in there thinking, oh man, I want to preach about uh, um, this. And so I think this scripture would go really good to talk about what I want to say. And so we will abuse the text, sometimes unintentionally, but we will abuse the text because we already have in our mind what we want to say. So we bring that into how we read the scriptures. I'm already looking for how Paul is saying this and how it's going to fit into what I want to say. So I'm not really concerned about what Paul wanted to say. I'm concerned with what I want to say. And so I read that into what I see in the scriptures. Does everybody understand? So here's a good example. Um, the theological principle, very easy scripture we've all heard before um, in, in Jeremiah. Um, uh, man, it just slipped my mind. Jeremiah 29 and 13. Um, let me pull it up real, real quick, real quick. Anybody know it right off the top? I, I, I know it once I get it, I, uh, but that's the one I was going to have y'all study. Uh, was it, was it, yes. But you will seek me when you find me, when you search me. It, it, oh, um, man, what, what is that? Oh, help me, Holy Spirit. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you. That scripture. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to bring you to an expected end. We take that scripture, but the expected end that Jeremiah was talking about ain't have nothing to do with how we apply it in, in the 21st century. His expected end was a people who were in exile in Babylon. 
and how they're expecting in was going to take them back to the place in Israel where God had promised them. That was his land that he had promised them. So when he says, for I, you know, uh, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Now, from that, we can take the theological principle that what God has promised to us, he will fulfill, that God always has a plan in mind for his people. But we must first understand that the expected end in Jeremiah was not the expected end that we automatically run to. Does that make sense? So I can extract that principle from the text without abusing the actual authorial intent of the text. Does that make sense to everybody? All right, I hope I didn't go too fast with that. All right, but that's a very, uh, very popular uh, uh, scripture, uh, 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 you know, that is utilized with that. All right, so think about the theological principle. What is this text telling me about God? What is it telling me about Jesus? What is it saying to that original audience? How does it help me to get to know God better? What does this do for my relationship with him? And what is the theological principle that can be gained from that? That is good hermeneutics, all right? And then our last one, I'm sorry. Um, it must be timeless. Your theological, our theological principle can not only be applicable to us and not to Israel. It can't be just applicable to Israel and not to us or to Gentiles and not to us. It must be applicable across the board. All right. That theological principle must be timeless and not tied to any particular time or people in history or any culture in history. And it must correspond to what all of scripture is saying. So your theology of women, whatever it is, if you believe women must cannot speak in churches, you've got to understand how Paul affirmed women prophets. You've got to be able to be timeless and across the board with whatever it is that you believe, be able to back it up and make it fit within all of scripture and what it has to say. And so it must be relevant to the biblical and the contemporary, which is us, the contemporary audience. Our last one, all right? Grasping the text then in our town. So we found out, which is the really hard work of finding out what did it mean to the original audience? What are the differences between the original audience and us? What is the river that we've got to cross? Then we use that bridge to go across the bridge, uh, the river, and the, have the theological principle of what the text is saying to them and to us. And then we apply that in our town. All right. That's what we apply in our town. Um, yeah, that, that was it. So that would conclude um, the, uh, so again, we're going to utilize this coming back next Tuesday. We're going to go a little bit deeper in exploring the history of hermeneutics. We're going to look at some different, um, going, going a little bit more in depth, but then we're also going to put into practice these hermeneutical principles. And we're going to challenge you. Um, I will probably email you. I'll get with Bishop Bell and we'll find some creative ways of challenging you and giving you the opportunity to do hermeneutics um, and giving you a scripture or a story and asking you to come back and say, hey, what is the theological principle that we can apply from this particular text? So for your money, for your registration, your investment, we're going to challenge you and make sure that you all are able to actually put this into practice and not that you're able to just sit back and look at a, 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 a really, really dope PowerPoint, if I must say so myself. No, I'm just joking. All right. So at this particular time, as we close out, are there any questions um, that anyone has before we close out? Any uh, clarification that is needed? Uh, so on and so forth. Uh, we had a, a question come up in um, chats 
I'll go ahead and read it out for everyone. Uh, it is what Bible translations can lead to misinterpretations. <laughs> you 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 want to go there, bro? Uh, so maybe give them the short answer on it. <laughs> uh, so um, I would definitely not start with the Message Bible. All right, I would not start there. Uh, I would not start with the Amplified Bible. The best translation, and I'm going to try to pull it up real, 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 real quick. The best translation uh, that is out there now, in my humble but informed opinion, uh, would be the Christian Standard Bible. And um, if I can uh, do this swiftly, um, there is something, I'm going to just try to explain it real quick for the sake of time. There's something called... Um, Readability. I'm gonna just put it in in in, uh, in layman's terms. Uh, the readability of the scriptures, as well as the ability to be faithful to the um, what's the word I'm looking for the the actual text of scripture. So you have those two things. How close is it to the actual text um, and everything in Greek, Hebrew, or Aramaic? That's one concern. But then how readable is it as well? And so when you take those two things, if I was to go across the bottom and say, here's readability, but here is also the closeness into the actual text of scripture. If you go directly down the middle, the CSB is the one, and I'll put this in your uh, student folder as well um, so we can look at it next week. But the CSB is the one that gives the closest thing that is the most balanced between readability, but also faithfulness to the actual words that were used in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. So that is why we say that the CSB followed by the ESV would be the best translations. But if you're trying to understand something and you want to go to your Amplified, that's my 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 go-to is CSB. And, and you'll see, uh, matter of fact, you, you all can still see the slides, right? You can see uh, Eastward. Okay, so I this is what I do. I use um, Parallel, and I think I have all five of them in here. Yep, you can see. So I start with the King James because that's what I'm, I've am i memorized most scriptures in. I'll read that, and then I ain't going to say ignore it. I was going to be funny. But then I'll go to, uh, normally I'll have the CSB in there. Yeah, you see CSB and ESV are in there. Then I go to Amplify. Then I go to Message. So if I ain't got it by the time I finish with CSB or you know ESV, then I'll see what the Amplified and the Message Bible has to say and kind of sorted that way. So I'll use, you see, all of these are, I'm, I'm serious about this, y'all. So I've invested a great amount of money. This program is actually free, but like the Message Bible, the CSB, that stuff actually costs money. But I invested in it because I want to do good hermeneutics. Um, but again, um, so hopefully that answers the question. All right. So don't, don't, please don't start with the Message Bible. All right. All right. Any other questions? There's a question in the group chat. Um, Danielle Hawkins says, how do you feel about Young's translation? I think I have that one. I, I don't know enough. I'm not I'm going to sit here and fake the funk. I don't know enough about that one to give you an act, uh, a, a informed answer. Um, so this is something you'll hear preachers uh, very rarely say, I don't know. I'm going to just be honest. But I'll, now, what I can do is look it up for you because Every translation is based upon certain um, manuscripts. And so um, I don't want to go too far uh, into this, but and that's a class in bibliology. But every different, every translation uses different manuscripts. And so depending on the different manuscripts that were formed, they can take those manuscripts and discover through a process we'll learn about next week called textual criticism, where they take this manuscript and they compare it to this manuscript and that manuscript, and they compare them to see how identical they are. 
And you'll find that not over 99% of it is identical, but they'll look at different manuscripts to see what they have to say. And every translation of the Bible is based on different manuscripts. They're not all using the same manuscripts, something that a lot of people don't know. So uh, the people on TikTok, y'all see me, I'll be trolling them. Cause like, if you don't understand the difference between an autograph, a, 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 a manuscript and a translation, then you cannot talk to me about the Bible having inaccuracies and, and being contradicting itself. Cause you don't understand how it was you're not informed on how they got to that translation. And if you're not informed, then you can't have an informed opinion um, when it comes to that particular subject. But that's kind of a whole nother class. Very good question. Very good question. All right. Anybody else? What you Bishop? Okay, I see. Um, what is the TPT translation? Uh, that's the Passion Translation. I actually like that one. Um, that one's the Passion Translation. Y'all all up in my uh, my little Bible program, <laughs> being nosy. Uh, and then uh, what's you, Dewan says, what's you and Bishop Bell take on the Blue Letter Bible app? Um, I like that one. I have used that one from time to time, but my go-tos are Eastward and Logos. Um, though Logos is the gold standard. Eastward is a very good one because it's free. And a lot of the uh, content in there is free, um, but I would definitely recommend if you don't have the finances to invest in Logos, I would start with Eastward. There are a a plethora of free resources in there. Since y'all being nosy, um, um, in, in here, uh, all kind of stuff. So like Graphics Viewer, um, I, yeah, you'll see here it has all the different. Um, I can go and, and get all kind of different maps and all kind of stuff that's in there if I want to look at this stuff. Um, so, I mean, it gives you the, the resources in there are just absolutely ridiculous. And that stuff is free. Um, so, again, uh, um, good, very good resources to use. All right. Any other questions before I uh, let y'all go? I appreciate y'all. Y'all were really good, attentive tonight. Um, and and uh, I hope I didn't bore y'all too much. Um, it's a lot of information. My biggest fear is that I move too fast and I would rather slow down. And even if we have to add another week or so or do private, I, I love this animal vacation. So I got time, but I want to make sure that I'm not going so fast that this stuff is just going over any anyone's head. My wife um, often tells me sometimes, she's like, baby, the food, she's like, you you like a, a person that gives you a really good meal, but you just keep shoving it down people's throat before they have the chance to chew it. Matter of fact, Kathy, Kathy always tell me to slow down, you know, uh, and, and stuff. And so, you know, my wife helps me with that. It's like, hey, it's really good information, but if you feed it too fast and too much, the people can't swallow it and digest it. So I really, really want you to swallow it and digest it. So I'm not gonna do all the work for you. Take the slides, review them, go over it, and then come back with even more questions. Text me, um, I got time. I don't go back to work till next Tuesday. So um, if you got a question, by all means, um, I love this stuff so much. So um, it's never a burden um, you know, for me to help anyone out, all right? All right, good stuff. All right, no questions. Uh, one of the things I'm going to put in, I'm going to uh, stop the video, and then I'm going to put the video in your folder tonight. So please don't ask me to email the, the video. I'm not emailing the video. The video will be in your folder. And I'm also going to put in there a document that gives you all 66 books of the Bible. And it gives you the five W's for every book of the Bible. And it goes into detail. 
for free. Well, it ain't for free. You paid for it. But I didn't have to throw that in there. But I love y'all and I want you to do good hermeneutics. So I'm going to put that in your student folder along with every article that I use for developing hermeneutics. Uh, I'm, I'm going to flood y'all with a bunch of stuff. Um, uh, uh, but again, anytime you take a class with myself, Bishop, Bishop Bell, we're going to make sure that you get way more than your money's worth um, and everything like that. So I paid for this stuff and I'm giving it to y'all for free. So somebody better say thank you. Y'all better put some good comments on social media. But no, seriously, I, I love y'all and I really want us to do good hermeneutics. So please um, understand that this is for you and we really want to invest in you as much as you are investing in us. Amen? All right, well, as the old saints would say, silent gives consent or, you know, then 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 we, we good to go uh, and everything. So uh, Bishop Bell, would you uh, please grace us with uh, closing remarks and in uh, our uh, closing prayer, and then we'll go on from there. Absolutely. Uh, before I do so, would you confirm with the class the next um, class and time just to be yes, sir. So clear? Yes, sir. Uh, next week, we will uh, Tuesday at 630 Eastern Standard Time. We will close out um, and we'll do part two of uh, hermeneutics. I've got a couple of things and I'm still adding to the slides from next week. Um, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm trying to finish that up. Uh, and so as soon as I get it, my goal is to get it to you about three days early so that you have a chance to really, really look for it. And we're not having to go through every individual slide, but we can kind of hit and miss um, that way, you know, because you all have the opportunity to look, kind of look over it. Does that make sense? Um, so that's that. That's my goal and intent. And I will. I won't just throw that in the folder. I will email y'all and let you know that the, the slides are ready. Amen. Also, want to challenge each and every one of you to, um, with the information that was provided, to uh, ahead of the next class, uh, we would like to see you come with some questions, maybe even something. Um, you know, that, that you had a chance of looking to based on the information um, that Kevin gave, um, that you wanted some clarity on, or uh, just to talk about, or even just share, you know, something that you found in your personal study based on the information that was given. Maybe something that you previously spoke on, preached on, or heard someone preach on, um, that you realized, man, just in this information that was given, I found something that either didn't line up from a hermeneutic standpoint, or I was able to more clearly see um, how they came to that interpretation or that uh, explanation. So I want to challenge um, each and every one of you to do that. Please, as I said in the comments, don't be afraid to ask questions. Uh, we, we definitely encourage that. The interaction has been great. Uh, so we really appreciate that. Uh, there are any more questions or thoughts, we're going to go ahead and close out in prayer. And one second, Bishop Bell, just yes, wanted to yes, say uh, God bless you to uh, Bishop uh, Wilkins that was on uh, tonight as well. So shout out to you, sir. Want to Absolutely. make sure we recognize you as well. Absolutely. So with that, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We bless you. And we honor you, God, for everything that you've done tonight. Thank you, God, for allowing us, God, the wisdom, the experience, God, the words, the information. <laughs> I don't know with you. Let them, God, as they receive this information, retain it, apply it, and even share it, God, with others. We thank you, God, for the care that you've given us to try to share your word in the fullness of his truth. And God, Father, continue to bless us, continue to strengthen us, 
God, as we do what you have called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen, and God bless you. Amen. All right, love y'all. We will see you amen. on next Tuesday. Good night. See you on next Tuesday. Good night. Thank amen. you. Bye. Amen. Good night. Thank Good night, you. Everybody.